Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 175, Brand 4 and A Clash of Kings. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. We're back with Bran. We back, are. Back, back, Happy December, if you're listening to this in the now, or the then, <laughs> or the later, the present. The thens. If you're oh a then God. listening to this. Oh my god. <laughs> we are starting to get towards that bummer part of the book where Theon takes Winterfell. We're getting closer and closer. The omens are there. The warning signs are there. They are, they are, and all the pieces for Theon to easily take Winterfell are falling into place. You know, Roderick's out of town, out on a business trip. Yeah, four and five are really actually tragic-ass chapters because everything is like, the the it's like that stirring feeling in your stomach, right? That nervousness where you're like, something bad's gonna happen, this is mm. so short and swift and sweet, something bad's about to happen, and then, boom. Something bad happens. The sea comes to Winterfell. Absolutely. But we're not quite there yet. At first, we're trying to even convince people that dreams are real. All right. <laughs> and let's take care of a little bit of housekeeping before we jump into the chapter. For example, this month, of course, we do have a Patreon episode for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, and that has yet to be announced. Yeah, last month we wrapped up our duo of Kingsguard and Queensguard Patreon episodes. We put out the Kingsguard back in, oh god, what what was that, October? October. Yeah, and then November we talked about the Queensguard. We had a blast chatting about that, so I'm sure we will come up with something special for your ears very soon. We will have something for you. I don't know, I, I have a lot of great thoughts still on the Queensguard that I hope we get to expand on once we get the Winds of Winter. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow, you really jumped in there with the Winds of Winter. And I mean, there are other things to also discuss about the Kingsguard. We'll probably come back to that subject eventually. I did call them part one and part two, and... Oh, fucking God. <laughs> I was like, why did, why did Eliana voice this series on me? I didn't even want this. I was like, I want this. You know, it's okay, because that's kind of the fun part about our podcast, is that we're working with what's published, and there are great new doors to be opened someday. Yeah. Someday. Any day. Any day Look now. under your chair. A any day, yeah. It's the Winds of Winter. Uh, hey, the Winds is an while open we're on that, door. Patrons in our Thunder tier and above, that's a $10 and above tier, get access to our private Discord server. It is a pretty much a lifetime access. We've had a very fun time with our friends there on that server and Eliana hosted a brunch last month i had a little pto i had to take with the girls god canon corporation but Eliana hooked it up she hosted brunch last month it sounds like they had a blast yeah it was a lot of fun i learned a lot about british television like this show called taskmaster that i have yet to watch it sounds funny oh god oh wow. it's apparently all on wow. youtube so i'm in yeah yeah we talked a lot about also um Different different slang terms in various cultures. So okay, okay. Anything new to bring to the table for me here? Uh, no, I forgot because I also was sick. So <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Uh, well, I want to hear some of the slang. So maybe at the next month's brunch, which we'll announce for you all in the next couple episodes, you'll know about December twenty twenty two brunch date. 
but uh, maybe I'll get to learn some, maybe. It's yeah. my hope. Yeah. And we will also be later announcing when this month's brunch will be. It is a time, of course, for us to all get together as a yeah, family. Yeah, be with your family, your fandomly, your <laughs> yeah. framblies. Yeah, your framblies and friendlies. We get together with ours and we have a couple hours of just chit chatting. It's nice. It's our, it our little holiday cheer. Maybe reindeer games. Maybe. I mean, we did do reindeer games last year that were reindeer game themed. We yeah. could just we bust that some... out again. But... We could get back into it. You you put your whole rain dussy into that. <laughs> My rain dussy. Uh, <laughs> finally, <laughs> our final thing to announce before we jump into brand four is to talk about our His Dark Materials coverage. Coming up, the final series of His Dark Materials is releasing in a little bit of a crazy schedule for the UK. It's going to be out on BBC iPlayer in full December 18th, so everything will drop at once. However, for the US, you will get two episodes a week starting uh, next week, December Starting literally 5th. this coming Monday, yeah. Uh, after this is released. HBO, yeah. So... You will hear from us. We're going to be doing weekly episodes, so keep an eye on your feed for those episodes if you're watching His Dark Materials Series 3. However, we were kind of planning to do a little bit of a social event over at our Discord for the Thunder Tier and above. Our friends at Discord have been hosting rewatches of His Dark Materials and other shows and movies, and they were planning on doing a weekly coverage, but they have decided because of the wonky schedule, our weekly chit chats about each episode of hdm coming out will be in january so they'll be doing i think weekly rewatches and and that isn't like completely they haven't completely like nailed down the schedule for that yet they're working it out because again they had to make this sudden change because you know we've only actually really gotten the announcement for when this show would be coming to both hbo and bbc very very late you know like two weeks ago (laughs) yeah especially like because yeah, for, for BBC, it was only announced very recently, and then for HBO, it was fairly recently, but, like, people in the UK were left hanging, so. Which is weird, because if anyone's been watching this at home, you might know there's a little there's a little laughter for us about the US kind of got fucked in that we had, what, we got delayed uh, by a time? week? Yeah, last the first, time The around? first season was delayed yeah. by a week, second season was only delayed by a couple days, so... It created a little competition between our buddies in the UK and us, right? Our friends in the Discord. When they had the episode and we had to wait, we were dying when we couldn't, you know, use windows to see through the worlds and watch it. (coughs) (coughs) But, uh, disclaimer. (coughs) But, yeah, now we have the one up for, what, two weeks? And then they get all of it. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating back and forth. My assumption is BBC wants it all out there for streaming for the holidays because, yeah. you know, the 18th is literally like the week right before Christmas. And so, yeah, I mean, what, what better way to celebrate the birth of Christ than, the, you know, the third book of historic materials and how that storyline goes. <laughs> and Hark, so, hear the bells. Yeah, so... Anyway, it makes sense. It's, it is much more popular in the UK than it is in the US, so I'm excited about this final season. I've, I've actually really liked the adaptations, and I mean, they've put a lot of work into this. The yeah, they put Dussie. their whole Rain Dussie <laughs> straight up into it. Yep. 
yeah, I look forward to seeing their hard work on screen and saying goodbye to those characters once more. Another time. Why not again? Why not? Oh my god. Actually, for real though. (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready for my heart to break all over again. I guess is what it is. Kind of like what we do every week with this podcast. Yeah, with... I mean, that's what's gonna happen. This episode of Bran is still like really sad but it's a little less heartbreaking than some of the previous chapters they don't hit you too hard yet this chapter this chapter is really interesting it's not even sad there is a little sadness but i feel like brand's story just has sadness lurking around the corners of all of it uh just because of the loss and because of the loss of innocence and growing up but this chapter is almost like a mini Jedi training chapter, right? Yeah. Like a Jedi light chapter, because it's not quite like the caves with Blood Raven, but it's where he finally communicates with someone who sees the world somewhat like he does now, right? He feels a little less alone, but also a little more alone after talking to Lewin. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to go with that journey in a second. Um, we're not sharing any emails and tweets of note right now for this episode, but... We do, of course, have our lightning round, so let's get through that before we jump into Bran. Yeah, start off our lightning round with Catelyn 2. Catelyn arrives at Bitterbridge to treat with Renly, and Stannis begins his siege on Storm's End. John 3, the Night's Watch, arrives at Craster's Keep, where John learns that J.R. has been turning a blind eye to Craster's actions. Theon 2. Theon returns home, but doesn't get quite the welcoming party that he expected. They they sure give him a hand, though. They really do. Tyrion 6. News of Stannis and Renly's standoff reaches King's Landing, and Tyrion uses this opportunity to poison Cersei and get a lot of work done, including jailing Pycelle. Every single Tyrion chapter in that book is pretty much just him doing a ton of shit. Oh, like today, his- Tyrion went to work and did something. His chapters are, like, insane and clash. Yeah, they're thick, thick boys. Arya 6. Team Arya is marched to Hall after days of torture and forced to serve under Tywin Lannister. Daenerys too, Daenerys and company, are granted a wing of Sarozo and Doxus's palace for the time being. Jorah brings news of Robert's death and the civil war that is rising in Westeros. He's like, it's called A Clash of Kings. No, it's not. It's called The War of the Five Kings. But She's whatever. like, that's stupid. It should be called A Dance of Dragons. <laughs> Actually, that wasn't that initially, as yep. many of you know, the, the name of the second book in the trilogy <laughs> that this was once, uh, that this was once. <clears throat> <laughs> Which takes us into Bran 4 in A Clash of Kings, where Mira and Jojen further press Bran's abilities. Mira moved in a wary circle, her net dangling loose in her left hand, the slender three-pronged frog spear poised in her right. Summer followed her with his golden eyes turning, his tail held stiff and tall, watching, watching. Yai! the girl shouted, the spear darting out. The wolf knocks her backward, crouching atop Mira, and the breath goes out of her. Bran hoots, saying, you lose, Mira! But Jojen points out, actually, she won. Summer is snared in her net. I had to reread that yai so many times, I was like, does that say (laughs) y'all? I was like, I'm so confused. Why is she saying that? Y'all. 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 Y'all, the girl shouted. Uh, I was like, to whom? To to Summer? (laughs) Anyways, I did think that this was interesting. This idea of 
winning only to find out that you've lost or you think you've won. It looks like it. Because that's very much what happens to Rob, right? It looks like he's winning and then turns out he's lost. He was caught in a trap. And perhaps I wonder if it'll also be a little bit of how everyone feels at the end of the series. And by everyone, I mean in character. The character's like, we won, but at what cost? Yeah, you and Courtney kind of talked last week in Brand 3 about the idea that has been theorized that the net could have been the Arthur Dane downfall, right? That Arthur Dane falls to Howland because of his net or because of being Mm. the sneakiness of the net. And it makes me think a little bit of that same way, right? Being caught in a trap, almost thinking you've won, but you actually lose. And it makes me wonder, will this metaphor, this net metaphor, will it be important in that aspect or will it actually will we see it be used by Mira in the Winds of Winter for an important feat? I'm wondering, like, will there be another I don't know, another use for it because she's so good with the net. I bet there probably will be, you know, like Like whites. <laughs> yeah, they're not the smartest. Yeah, maybe she's gonna go white fishing. Yeah, she could do that. I wonder could it be also, like, something else in regards to, like, that fishing thing, too? Or mm-hmm. on the phrase? I don't know. Also, could we see her use it in some sort of similar betrayal kind of way? Like, maybe not, like, betraying someone, but in a way, like, to save Bran or, like, to stop him from do- doing something or who knows? I don't know. Yeah. There's a could lot of anything. different ways. Yeah, it could go. Uh, I'm sure George is also thinking about all the different ways, probably, because... He's a gardener. You're <laughs> like, I hope he's done with them. this. He's he's apparently further along than yes before. His <laughs> Thanksgiving. Fucking Christ Almighty! Yeah, his Thanksgiving blog was really optimistic. He's had a really a lot of optimistic blogging going on the last few weeks after his touring. He's been doing. I think he's feeling very uplifted and inspired. Yeah, he talked about a lot of the talks he did, but for some reason didn't talk about the one that we were at. Must uh, be on purpose. I've met you, maybe. and I've met oh me, God. so. He just wanted to talk about Clifford. Anyway, Bran, speaking of dogs, tells Mira to let Summer go free, and Mira throws her arms around Summer, rolling themselves out of the net, uh-huh. and Bran calls to Summer and spreads his arms, and then Summer bowls into him, and he clings to Summer, and they wrestle and roll around too, laughing and yapping, and end with a Bran sprawled on top in the end, and the muddy wolf beneath him good wolf he says and summer licks his ear oh so cute stop <laughs> Mira, like we just don't we're not gonna get these happy times again you know no. this is just this is it i mean that that dog's gonna die someday i know i've been like thinking about it earlier today and i was like really sad about it i was like chloe's probably right he's probably gonna die and this is like terrible <laughs> especially with like all the emphasis on a part of you summer summer's a part of you and like ugh. killing the boy yeah, but also just like that concept of grief in general too, feeling like you lose a part of yourself and loved ones die. And also like dogs. Dogs dying, yeah. your dog dying, like it's sad. Yeah. Dude, it's absolutely a bummer when you have that com- constant companion that's like a part of you. Yeah. And dogs just like really love you. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, Mira asks if Summer grows angry ever, and Bran says, not with me. He says Summer wouldn't hurt Mira, though, because Summer knows that Bran likes her. Lol rip, two seconds later in this chapter. (laughs) Right. The other guests had left within a couple days of the Harvest Feast, but the Reeds had stayed behind, becoming his new companions. 
Old Nan began calling Solemn Jojen Little Grandfather, and Mira reminds Bran of Arya, who loves to get messy, to fight, to run, to throw. You know, I actually forgot that Old Nan is the one who gives Jojen the nickname Little Grandfather. Like, I know that he's called that, right? I think it's adorable that she does that. I love Old Nan. She gives a lot of great nicknames, and as we kind of talk, she's the lore keeper, right? She's kind of like the ultimate DM of the North, and she has to have all these people memorized. She tells Bran all, like the uh, the Umber brothers, she was like, oh, he's named this because of this, and she's like, and I'm not telling you the other one for Horsebane. Yeah, that's right. She's like, "Mm, I think you're a little too young for that. (laughs) She has to keep the world in her head just like Bran will. Wow. Exactly. Mira is older than Arya, of course, almost 16, a woman grown, which is not true, but they're both older oh, than Bran. <laughs> of an age with Rob and John, which means would have been born around the same time as them. Just putting that out there. Yeah, but not not putting it out there in the way that people seem to think that Mira and John are twins. I do not subscribe to that. No, just that they were born at similar times yeah, and yeah, places. Yeah. I just want to clarify where we stand on that. <laughs> clarify. She came out of Ashara's womb. That was the clarification I'd like to make. But John, John did not. We also want to clarify that. Absolutely, John. There's did so not. many things we need to clarify. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> Disclaimer. This is where we stand. So both Mira and Jojen are older than Bran, uh, although he has just recently turned nine. But they don't treat him like a child, which is nice. He wishes that they were his wards instead of the Walders. Right. And Mira moves to help Bran get up as he, you know, he's, like, struggling to the nearest tree. He's like, no, I got this. I got this. And he tells her to let him do it himself using his arms. And it's very much a don't just push other people's wheelchairs moment. Don't just touch people. Bran's like, I can do this. All right. Just let me, let me. I imagine we're going to see that similar structure, right, of him struggling to the tree. I loved the way it was written. Struggling to the nearest tree. I feel like we're going to see him do a lot more of struggling to the nearest trees. Yeah. In the future, the read from the tree. Yeah, absolutely. In a different way, though. Mm-hmm. Bran asks if Mira learned to fight with a net from her master at arms. She says there are no master at arms, no maester, and no ravens can find Greywater Watch, nor can their enemies find them there. Hmm. Why? Because, of course, it's Howland's moving castle, and it moves. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously not actually like floating around like on a cloud or anything. It's uh, it's moreover because of the bogs. And we get this line in Cat 5 in A Storm of Swords. Jason Malister, daddy, says, A dozen streams drain the wetwood, all shadow, silty, uncharted. I would not even call them rivers. The channels are ever drifting and changing. There are endless sandbars, deadfalls, and tangles of rotting trees. And Greywater Watch moves. How are my ships to find it? So a lot of bogs in general, like the the wetland in the area just shifts slightly, right? But over time, and with the lack of people going there, it can shift constantly and very much so, obviously. So that would make for a very, very difficult place to go. No maester. They don't subscribe to those normal societal norms for the greater houses. No master at arms. No ravens. That's really interesting. Isn't that kind of interesting? Like, they're off the grid, and they like it that way, and they keep it that way. Yeah, That makes it, it a very convenient hiding spot, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's very secure because of that. And it seems like, you know, a lot of the populace is 
maybe like generally trained in some combat ish, right? Very, mm-hmm. very, I think, amenable to this idea of like more of this guerrilla style of fighting. As it's well out as... of survival, though, exactly. I think, too, because they don't have that formal training. I think they have to use every fucking trick in the book to keep themselves safe. Yeah, and they know. They know the terrain in a way other people don't. Even if it's shifting, they know it. You were, When we were talking about it disappearing, though, I do think of like that there's that one area in one of the Pokemon games. I want to say it's in Hoenn, where the islands disappear and then reappear, depending. But anyways, yeah, it's something where they're, they're familiar with it. I was watching recently, it, it actually went pretty viral, like, these videos of, like, I guess these men doing, like, silly things, and I think it was on a bog, and they're just, like, flopping into the ground in the water because it's a bog, and apparently this is very dangerous. Some of them were just, like, also very slowly sinking into it, and you shouldn't do that because apparently you go under a bog, because I, I read someone else's comment on one of these, like, they were like, it's pitch black, basically except for like little moments of light and it's terrifying and they're like what if all the p- things like people maybe used to sacrifice people to the bogs and they're like i don't know if those were like sacrifices or maybe like self-sacrifices out of stupidity because bogs are dangerous yeah there's something even culturally like you look at they being like descended from the marsh kings and then from possibly the children of the forest i mean Culturally, they are people that were attacked, and they had to learn to live differently in order to not be attacked by men of Westeros. So to see that kind of still exist with the current people at Greywater Watch, the people of the Neck that kind of have an understanding of, you know, traditionally we have protected our lands and our people in this way. I think that's really interesting. Absolutely. Especially in the entire context of this chapter and learning about the dreamers further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even when out of the context of the dreamers, like, they were in a vulnerable position because of the neck, right? Like, when with yep. all the warring, yes. etc. A very vulnerable area. And, yeah, the phrase kind of, the phrase hate them, and I wonder if it's like, they have that prestige, right? And they have, like, that control, etc. And they have autonomy, Outside of the mm-hmm. phrase, who have been trying to get respect for a long time, and they're like, we'll do it by charging everyone to go through this toll road, and still no one likes them. Well, and then you think about the phrase as, like, they are living to the Southern standard, right? And they're trying to yeah. excel in that world, and they are looked down upon, where the Kranog men are also looked down upon, but a lot of that is also, like, they're allowed to live their lives and to honor their traditions and to keep their culture to an extent right and they're on that verge of the south and the north and i think yeah. that must really piss the phrase off at their core absolutely and because also people like as you said people look down on them but also people don't fuck with them. them yeah in a way you know mhm yeah so, Bran is unsure about whether or not Mira is serious about what it's like at Greywater Watch. He's like, could a place really be like that? But he says he'd love to visit it when the war is over because it does sound cool. And also he's like, this is maybe the safest answer for me. And Mira says that he's welcome and says then or now, which I thought was really interesting. I love the ambiguity of that phrasing, especially when you think about Bran's abilities because mm-hmm. saying then or now on its own outside of context i thought you know of course then 
means in the future, right? That's what they're talking about within the context of this conversation. But that's a point in time, right? Then, when mm-hmm. the war is over. But saying then or now is something that usually might refer to talking about the past, like saying back then. And then, of course, like there's a period of time that is now the present. So Bran, very much like Greywater Watch, he is going to become unmoored in time. He's going to be able to move throughout time mm. in the same way that their keep moves around this this lake, this marsh. Not to bring HBO into it, but it does remind me of the Stay a Thousand Years, Danny and John at the the huh. caves and the waterfall, or Egret and John with the cave, right? With that in mind of that then or now. It makes me think for Mira, especially, right, with what she knows for Jojen's fate and how she's likely trying to preserve these moments with her brother yeah. and trying to stop his fate from happening. Um, then or now, you know, it, it, like you're saying, it's a place in time. It's a frozen moment they could have in time, a nice thing away from what's to come in this bitter, horrible war. Absolutely. And you really get the sense that it comes through more in this chapter that Mira's really here to protect Jojen because she cares about her brother, you know? And yeah. <laughs> that's her big driver. Uh, obviously, it's, you know, protect her liege, but her heart is with Jojen. Yeah. That's her pack. Bran thinks he can ask Sir Roderick when Roderick returns home if he could visit Greywater. He's sick of Winterfell, but Roderick's off east trying to set right to the trouble there. The moment Lady Hornwood had left Winterfell after the feast, Ramsay, of course, awaited her, twirling his villain mustache, kidnapping and marrying her that night. In order to set forth justice and fix things, Lord Manderley, of course, had decided to seize her castle to protect convenient. her holdings. So convenient. Roderick is just as angry with Manderley as Ramsay. And so we were kind of talking about this at the beginning of the chapter with like all the things falling into place, but like shit happened real fast. Mm-hmm. And it was a great passage of time. I mean, we had yeah. like several, what we read, like seven chapters in between, uh, but a lot happened in between each of those. Uh, even looking at Theon, right? Like we said, the things that were set in motion for Theon to come take Winterfell have just happened. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Bran says that Lewin would never let him go, but Roderick would. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Neither of them would. You're the heir. I'm sorry, but you need to stay where you are in Winterfell. Like- Root yourself. If I just ask mom instead, if I ask dad <laughs> instead, but neither of them, because those aren't really his parents, his dad said. <laughs> I do this just to make Chloe's face react. None of you can see it. I, this is the thing I do for me. Jojen tells Bran that realistically, it doesn't matter where he goes, but it would be good if he got out of Dodge, like, now. Get the fuck out of Dodge now. Mira explains that Jojen has green sight. He dreams things that are sometimes yet to come. And Jojen looks at her and says, There is no sometimes, Mira. And we have a look passed between them. Him sad, her defiant. That's so sad. I'm so sad. Kill me. Kill me. Kill me. It's just like, just between them, just that small, the tiniest little pass between them where she's like, but what if not always? And he's like, always, Mira. <sighs> yeah. Jojen promises to tell Bran what he's seen if Bran tells him what he's seen in his dream. The godswood grows quiet and only leaves are rustling around and Hodor's splashes in the hot pool are heard. Bran thinks of his dreams, the golden man, the crow, 
the crunch of bones, the taste of copper, and he lies with his whole ass that he doesn't dream. He takes sleeping droughts. But Jojen and Mira both call him out. All of Winterfell has heard him shouting and sweating in his sleep. The guards, the ladies. He says it doesn't matter. Embarrassing. It is a little embarrassing. Bran says it doesn't matter, that Lewin says dreams could mean anything or nothing, but Mira insists green dreams are different. We have this passage. Jojen's eyes were the color of moss, and sometimes when he looked at you, he seemed to be seeing something else, like now. I dreamed of a winged wolf bound to earth with gray stone chains, he said. It was a green dream. I knew it was to be true. A crow was trying to peck through the trains, but the stone was too hard, and his beak could only chip at them. Did the crow have three eyes? Jojen nodded. Summer raised his head from Bran's lap and gazed at the mudman with his dark, golden eyes. When I was little, I almost died of greywater fever. That was when the crow came to me. He came to me after I fell. I was asleep for a long time. He said I had to fly or die, and I woke up only... I was broken, and I couldn't fly after all. You can if you want to. Picking up her net, Mira shook out the last tangles and began arranging it in loose folds. You are the winged wolf, Bran, said Jojen. I wasn't sure when we first came, but now I am. The crow sent us here to break your chains. Ooh. Interesting, interesting. So I have some other thoughts that pair well with some of the other parts later on in this chapter about chains but i also like it reminds me a little bit of the moments when daenerys is chaining her dragon absolutely there's so much of there's a ton of parallel with yeah her and dragons and bran and kind of just closing his mind and not awakening yet it's really interesting in this book because she's very much so kind of awakened now yeah true right like she is on the sands. She is feeling it. She's like, I am the chosen one, Jorah. I am the fucking chosen one. Her having to choose to chain that part of her and choose that magic side of her chaining that later in dance is devastating. And that's yeah. kind of where Bran's psyche is. He's in between, right? Because Lewin keeps being like, no, it ain't real. But Jojen's like, it is real. And Jojen is the one that keeps proving it is real bit by bit. It's a very frustrating place to be chained into. That is really interesting because also like starting last book, right? Because she was having dreams and she's like, I don't know what's up with these dreams. And she listens to them at the end. No one else is mm -hmm. around her telling him they're real, is around her telling her that those dreams are real. She's just like, I just gotta believe. And she did it. And now there are dragons. And you know, it's pretty good proof that magic's in the world when you got three dragons. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good proof that you did it. <laughs> She's like, I did it. Jojen, so it's it's funny that like Jojen was found also mm -hmm. by the, the three-eyed crow when he was near death. It's it's something that we've been talking about throughout these chapters, but again, it's kinda like Baramir's chapter and I guess like you know, showing us that you become one with everything during those moments and like maybe it like makes you visible to Blood Raven and he's like, Wow, another candidate when you're like in that near-death scenario, kind of like, I don't know, when you put on the one ring. Yeah, it's like a rip in the veil that you're mm. able to slip in between. It's like something that you should never have been able to see. Like, you're seeing that inner veil of the workings of the universe, and you should never have gained access to it, but somehow you have it because you cheated death. Exactly. And he's like, 
is it this one? Maybe he he should have just been, I think, a little bit more... He should have exercised more discretion, but he seemed desperate. Yeah, I think it got to a point where he couldn't anymore, you know? Yeah, he was just trying random I ones. I mean, this guy's gonna die. Yeah, that's true, because I was like, I don't know, maybe he shouldn't have tried with Euron. I don't know. I mean, he was trying to put in his two weeks notice, Eliana, okay? I and mean, he's been alive <laughs> for far too long. And over. Yeah, years. Years. Uh. Bran asks if the crow is at Greywater. Watch. But Jojen says, no, he's in the north. Beyond the wall. Past his bastard brother, Jon Snow. And when they told Lord Howland what Jojen had dreamed, Howland dispatched him and his sister immediately to Winterfell. To break the chains, Jojen says. Bran must open his eye. Not his normal eyes, of course. His eye. With two eyes, you could see my face. With three, you could see my heart. With two, you could see that oak tree there. With three, you could see the acorn the oak grew from, and the stump that it will one day become. With two, you see no farther than your walls. With three, you would gaze south to the summer sea and north beyond the wall. I love this distinction going back and forth on the eyes. It makes me wonder these dreams that Jojen has had from the crow, from Bloodraven, are they real dreams? Or are they dreams that Bloodraven is projecting for Jojen to lure Bran north? Hmm. You That's know what a, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, is Jojen upon a plant? I th- I, well, he's definitely plant matter. Vegetation. <laughs> uh, I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I where are those dreams coming from? It starts to make you think about the dreamer and the dream weaver yeah. in this. I don't know. I haven't considered that, but like, that's definitely possible. We don't really understand the mechanics of how it works. It'd be kind of mm-hmm. sad, though. But I mean, realistically, yeah, he's gonna die so that Bran can get north for the crow. So, in some aspects, it's like it was gonna happen always, but was it gonna happen because it was intimated? Or you know, it's very interesting yeah. to think about. It's a chicken and the egg kind of scenario. And it doesn't really matter, I guess, at this point, since he's already there and dying and getting eated, eated and yeeted. <laughs> but it makes you think about how these dreams happen and how they're able to communicate or how they're able to put thoughts in minds. And I guess that's kind of the workings of some of the theories like the Blood Raven and Ares and, you know, all the different making people go mad theories. It's interesting that Howland immediately sends Jojen, though. Because yeah, that what did he learn? And we'll, we'll probably talk about it a little bit today and definitely in the next book about the Green Men, right? What he learned from the Green Men about the future and what he learned was needed of him and his family. Well, it's kind of like, does Mira feel differently than the rest of her family, right? Mm-hmm. Is she a little different from them? Because, yeah, as you said, Howland sent Jojen knowing all of this, etc., knowing that his son's probably going to die, because Jojen doesn't seem like a person who's, like, keeping quiet about that, you know? He's yeah. telling everyone, he's like, Mom and Dad, I know when I'm going to die. And they're like, wow, so proud of you, honey. Why would you go north? <laughs> you know, Every day, Ashara is probably like, I have the weirdest fucking kids ever. Yeah, but she's like, but only one day, one day it'll only be one of them, I guess? I don't know. And is Mira, Jesus. like, the only one who's, like... Why is everyone going along with this? And she's the only one who's trying to fight against fate. And her parents and her brother are both just like, this is all it is. And it's kind of like when you learn, 
when you're an adult, when things make sense and you're like, maybe my parental figure was right about a few things I didn't necessarily agree with at the time. Like, because it's like those secrets of adulthood of like fate, right? Like you're like, oh, this thing is fated to happen or this thing is just how life goes and we can't fight that. And it's like Mira doesn't have the sight, so she doesn't understand the finality of it. But Jojen and Howland both seem to understand the finality of it all. That's funny. I see it differently as like one of those things where your parents accept something that like this is the way the world is. This is how things are. And Mira being like, but it doesn't have to be that way, mm. you know, in the mm-hmm. way that like Daenerys says the world doesn't have to be this way and tries to change it. And like, I think there's something very admirable about being like, I will do everything that I can for to try and find a way out, a different path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she won't. Though, I don't know. So. We'll I see. One happen. day we'll see those family dynamics. Yeah. Will she be mad at her dad and be like, I can't believe like you just let him go? Probably. Absolutely probably. And now we got this. She's like little gestures at Bran. <laughs> um <sighs> So, so I I do really like this line though about the you know how it's the acorn and the stump and the tree all at once and that idea of the third eye and this idea of seeing like another dimension of time in terms of like that fourth dimension, um, kind of from above and it it reminds me a little bit of the way that the Trollfamadorians are described, um, and how they can see the world in Slaughterhouse Five where like everything's existing, you know, all at oh, once. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they, for them, actually, maybe this is why Jojen and Howland feel that way. They're like, no one's ever really dead. That's like kind of where that sort of like resignedness of the so it goes comes from, even though it's meant to be some, a, a philosophy that you critique. But that idea, because they can see everything all at once, no one's ever truly dead. They're still there existing. Yeah. And it's like what they think about death, right? That, the dead person is in a bad condition at that particular moment, but the same person is fine in plenty of other moments. Yeah, it's like and it's a like, Princess Bride. He's mm. only mostly dead. Oh my god. Literally. Like, he's still alive. Oh, to blave. <laughs> That's interesting because I haven't thought about Slaughterhouse in so fucking long, but I'm like, damn, Eliana, you're bringing out the eighth grade in me right now. But there's also, like, just the way that they see the four different dimensions, right? Reality yeah. of, like, past, present, future, any point in time, any point in will. Huh. And there's something in, like, in Hinduism, there's two... There's a, the higher state of consciousness and how you perceive the world, right? And so you have, like, in general, just your your there's two parts of your brain. There's like the higher part of the learning and the lower part of the learning. And the higher part of the intelligence is where your third eye is actually located. So like your third eye is definitely informed in the higher form of intelligence that you need it to be. In Hinduism, the third eye symbolizes the higher state of consciousness for perceiving the world and the gate leading to inner realms and spaces of higher consciousness. So having Jojen I mean this is kind of a funny scene also in some in some ways because <laughs> Jojen is like really like I'm running out of ways to explain this to you Bran like I don't know how else to explain to you we need to take these chains off of you and you need to open your goddamn eye um Bran's like because it is it's <laughs> that's his power that's his gate to the inner yeah. realms and the spaces of higher consciousness and it's also kind of funny because it's like one of those things you really can't teach someone to do that's true, especially because 
he hasn't technically done it either, Jojen. He has green dreams, but he doesn't have, like, the same abilities as Bran. So it's like, how can I teach someone to do something that I have not done? Yeah. How could you? I mean, he's only half, right? He's not a full... He's uh, He has green dreams. He's not a green seer. Yeah. He's like, just just take them off. Just take off the chains. Uh? <laughs> uh? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. You know, Shiva's third eye is the eye of wisdom, right? That sees it's free from all illusion and looks beyond what anyone can see and <clears throat> sees truth. And there's so much language in here that's just reminiscent of that and reminiscent of that eye emitting flames to destroy evil. I mean, Bran, you are, in a way, the shield right now. You're the sword in the darkness. You're the shield that guards the realms of men. And we need you to open your eye to fucking do so, because whenever Lord Shiva opens a third eye, it destroys the person who sees the vision, interestingly mm. enough. Oh, wait, no, keep it closed. Don't kill Jojen yet. Damn. He's not going to do that with his eye. He's going to do that with his mouth. Yeah, well, but there you have it. I mean, like you said last week when you talked about how these uh, visions, the accidentals that Bran has goes around and he puts people on a death list, basically, without meaning oh, yeah. to. Yeah, because yeah. when Shiva opens the third eye, it destroys the person who he sees the vision or that the vision's about. Big sad. Damn, keep that eye shut. <laughs> Don't take the chains <laughs> off, Bran. Maybe stay chained. Keep your chains hanging low. Bran is nervous, and he says he's tired of crows, and he changes the conversation to wolves and lizard lions, asking Mira if she's ever hunted them. She starts to tell him about their home, the slow streams and deep swamps of grey water, but Jojen interrupts, trying to keep them on track, asking, Oh, did you dream of these creatures? Is that why you bring them up? Bran's like, I don't have to tell you shit. I'm the prince. Why are you questioning me? Like, this is getting ridiculous. Jojen ignores that, and asks if he dreamed of summer in the godswood, the night of the harvest feast, and Bran's like, stop! Jojen says that when he had touched summer, he felt Bran in the wolf, that he felt him fall. He asks Bran if that's what scares him most, the falling. Bran thinks, and the golden man, the queen's brother, but mostly the falling. He's too scared to say it, though. He couldn't even say it to Roderick or Lewin, definitely not to the reeds. He thinks, maybe it'll just go away if I don't talk about it, mood. Yeah, again, Bran Stark, king of repression, and Jojen's just being a very pushy therapist right now, and it's like, whoa, come on, Jojen, come on. Bran has just talked about this at all. Trying new techniques, trying new techniques. <laughs> By interrogating Bran and intimidating him. Bran, did you do this? Did you think this? Did you? Anyways, for example, he's like, he, he asks, Bran, do you fall every night very quietly? And Summer's had enough. By Summer, we mean Bran. <laughs> Cause because Summer growls, and Jojen starts, like, making steps in between Summer and Jojen, telling Bran to keep him back, and Bran says, Jojen is making him angry. And Jojen's like, no, that's not Summer's anger, that's your anger, Bran, that's your fear that Summer is showing. And Bran says, I'm not a wolf, yet he had howled with them in the night, and he had tasted blood through Summer, and Jojen knows that part of him is Summer, and part of Summer is Bran. He knows that. You know, I've been thinking about this for like a solid three weeks. This is the most important analysis I'm ever going to give you, Eliana. But, and I'm going to quote The Phantom Menace. 
you know, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Look, Jojen has those green eyes. Is Jojen Yoda? Yeah, actually kind of, though. He really is, though. Like, his function in the story. But also maybe because he's little, is he baby Yoda? <sighs> Grogu. Grogan. Gro- I refuse to call him Grogu. Grogan. Uh, me too, though. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, there is a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of aspect of Dune in this part of the plot, right? Of fear being the mind killer. And that Bran is so loudly showing his fear out loud. Like, he's just screaming it. He's like, this is what I'm afraid of. And Jojen sees through that. Jojen is trying to coach him. In a way, it does remind me of kind of that death speech that Yoda gives to Anakin, where he says that death is a natural part of life. To rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. Mourn them. Do not miss them. Attachment leads to jealousy, the shadow of greed. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Uh, mm-hmm. Jojen Yoda is trying to open Bran's eye here, and it definitely makes me think of that. It makes me think of Yoda like crazy, his entire role to Bran does. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a great observation of the role that Jojen plays. He, observation it's kind of weird, great like, it is. Kind of like a mentor figure, but very young. Yeah, especially because he's accepted his death. Yeah. Which makes him the oldest little grandfather of them all. <laughs> Although he's so young, like there's so much that he's already accepted and that he's come to terms with that lets him be so much more older in his terms because of that. He's he's the tree that's the stump and the acorn at the same time because he's young. Yeah. Like a little acorn, but also old like the stump. Yeah, because he knows when he gets chopped. Yeah. Yeah. Summer rushes forward, and Mira blocks him with her spear. He circles, stalking, and Mira tells Bran to call him back. Bran calls Summer back, but Summer lunges again. Mira counters with her spear. The bushes rustle, and, oh good, out comes Shaggy Dog. Mira stands next to Jojen, demanding Bran call them off. He says he can't, and commands Jojen to go up the tree. And Jojen's like, there's no need for that. He's like, today is not the day I die. And Mira's like, Jesus fucking Christ, please just listen to me as the guardian in this. And yells at him to do it anyway, and so Jojen does. And then Mira also follows as the wolves descend, both of them scrambling up the weirwood. And Summer howls, sitting back on his haunches while Shaggy shakes the net in his teeth. They're angry. I love the emphasis placed on the tree here because this becomes a big plot point of people going up the trees in mm-hmm. this area, in the Godswood and in the Wolfwood. In two chapters, Bran like, is trying to escape through summer, right, when Theon takes Winterfell and tries to climb the tree. That's like the very beginning of the dream, and it's very, the whole chapter starts with it. It's very, um, very tense. But this comes back with wax, right, in Adobada having scrambled up the trees and hiding as they exit and they make their exit and he saw Bran and Rickon. So there's a lot of emphasis placed on the tree climbing. It really Hmm. sticks out in this chapter. It does. It does. Very squirrely of them. Yeah. Oh, which is poor squirrel. Arya's (laughs) at Harrenhal right now, so I feel for her. In another very magical situation. Wow. Bran remembers they're not alone. They have an adult nearby, 
He calls for Hodor and asks Hodor to chase the wolves off. Shaggy is the first to flee, and finally Summer lays down next to Bran spent. So I thought this was actually a very interesting play on that trope by George. You know, the trope of like, oh, his friends are in danger. And they're like, you have to do it now, Bran. You have to like call him off. And like, because like of the stressful moment, he finally learns to gain control of their powers, etc. But Bran doesn't, right? He doesn't make that breakthrough. And that plays with our expectations. And he finds instead a different way to solve this problem without actually having to do the thing that Jojen would like him to do. And it's actually his usual solution to his problems, which is make Hodor deal with it. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer for Hodor. Hodor, come get in the middle of the massive dogfight, please. Thanks. I'm like, that could have been dangerous for Hodor. Damn, Bran. Yeah. The reeds warily descend the tree. Mira immediately goes into defense with the net and spear, and Jojen promises Bran that they'll talk again. Bran's like, was- I do not want to set up another appointment. <laughs> Worst therapist award. I, my insurance doesn't even, like, you don't take my insurance, my guy. <gasps> Bran thinks, it was the wolves. It wasn't me. He did not understand why they'd gotten so wild. Maybe Maester Lewin was right to lock them in the god's wood. <laughs> Oh, that no. is really sad. It's a, it's again another one of those moments that reminds us a little of Daenerys, right? And I kind of wonder, like, did did George's outline for how the story would go like get really unaligned because it just goes so well with like this moment in Adoida Daenerys two of mother of dragons. Daenerys thought mother of monsters. What have I unleashed upon the world? A queen I am, but my throne is made of burned bones, and it rests on quicksand. Without dragons, how could she hope to hold Marine, much less win back Westeros? I am the blood of the dragon, she thought. If they are monsters, so am I. And Daenerys, like, gets to that and accepts that upon seeing uh, the damage that her, her dragons have wrought quite quickly. But Bran is still in this moment of denial regarding his nature and his relationship with the wolves. But Daenerys is also older, right? And she's had, therefore, a little bit more experience also with the things that she's been through, with responsibility, being responsible for bad things happening, and being more willing to accept what the dragons do. That is part of her responsibility, and it's tied to her, and even on a more metaphorical level, like, as opposed to where Bran, where it is very literal, and he's trying to kind of divest himself of the fault of what happened with the wolves. Yeah. That's a really interesting comparison to see, like, that Daenerys is kind of, not only does she know that she is one with them, they are one flesh, right, and that her responsibilities reflect off of them and what she does with her dragons, but Bran, there's also something about, like, he barely has autonomy over himself, so for him, as a nine-year-old trying to already struggle with barely being able to have autonomy over your own body, now you're responsible for a wolf that you can't control, too? It's gotta be rough. Growing up sucks as a Stark, huh? Yeah, probably also as a Targaryen, she's like, well, I also have no control. I mean, she has no control over her love life right now. Yeah. The dragons (laughs) that are eating the children. Uh, She's like, I have no control, but it's still my fault. (laughs) It must also be scary to wonder who's in control when, and I think Mm. there's a very Jekyll Hyde, werewolf kind of thing going on that 
we start to see that Bran interfaces with that and he starts to hone his skills. But Rickon, for example, is more wolf than boy most days, right? Already. Yeah. Uh, so slipping into Shaggy's skin and when Shaggy's in control, because, I mean, even the dreams for Bran, the dreams get more and more intense and the POV starts to get unclear. Uh, like, Brand six has the beginning is very like between both. It's Brand, it's summer, it's Brand, it's summer. Uh, the POV switches so much in those dreams, and you don't know who or what is in control. And sometimes it's kind of the language that we've been talking about of the man rock and the man the man smells, and you're like, ah, that's summer, but is it? It's Brand through summer. It's a it's a little bit of a confusing thing to go through. It is. It is confusing. Rickon's going through a lot of confusing stuff. And it was also, like, interesting that Shaggy shows up, too, right? Like, mm -hmm. and joins joins all that. Like, where's Rickon with all this? Well, right, and it's interesting because Shaggy seems to be doing things as well and, like, yeah. communicating with Bran in these dreams as well, which is like, so are you just talking to Rickon? Do you know, does Rickon know he's talking to you? I would love to get that POV. Hmm. Maybe... Oh, no. Okay, I'm sorry. Why would you don't even sad... say it? I don't even want to hear it. You're I mean. Know. You're really I didn't, cruel. I didn't even, like, consider that was a possibility. Leave him just alone. Now because of what you said. Yeah. Oh, so you are giving me the responsibility <laughs> yeah. for your thoughts now? Yeah. Huh, yeah. okay, Bran. It was, it was Chloe. It wasn't me. Oh my god. She did not understand how Chloe had gotten so wild. Ah. <laughs> Bran asks Hodor to bring him to Lewin. He arrives a little early for lessons today. Rickon, Bran, and the Freys all take tutoring sessions every afternoon with him. Bran uses a wall sconce to pull himself out of his basket, hanging by his arms until Hodor puts him in a chair. He tells Lewin about Jojen's green sight, just like the children of the forest that Lewin told him about. He says, is it magic? And Lewin's like, at its heart, it's more just like, different kind of knowledge question mark no one truly knows because the children and their wisdom are completely 100 percent not to be found gone from this world it had to do with the faces in the trees we think the first men believed that the green seers could see through the eyes of the weirwoods that was why they cut down the trees whenever they warred upon the children supposedly the green seers also had power over the beasts of the wood and the birds and the trees even fish does the Reed Boy claim such powers? Me, reading this. Give us the fish POV. He'll probably skin change some fish. It's it's part I of being so. a Tully, you know? The ancestral I, skin changing for House Tully. I just really like, you know, underwater documentaries and Finding Nemo. And I've been playing an underwater... Um, <laughs> oh, really? On my VR, there's like an underwater thing you can do and you can actually like just cruise around under the sea and see different aminals it's really fun nice yeah i think that's what it'll be like when we get the brand fish pov amazing i'm serious though like will he skin i don't know i, I hope know. so i think he should i find lewin's doubt in jojen's abilities really interesting considering he just gave brand an entire history and then considering <laughs> that like there's a big chance that the neck is a p large populace that descends from children in some way, <laughs> yeah, you right. know, of the forest. Like, I'm like, this is literally, these people are akin to the children of the forest. The reeds definitely have Marsh King blood, at least, right, coming from them. 
And there's this great bit in the world of Ice and Fire. Long ago, the histories claim the Cranog men were ruled by the Marsh Kings. Singers tell of them riding on lizard lions and using great frog spears like lances, but that is clearly fancy. Were these Marsh Kings even truly kings as we understand it? Archmaester Aaron writes that the Cranog men saw their kings as the first among equals who were often thought to be touched by the old gods, a fact that was said to show itself in eyes of strange hues, or even in speaking with animals, as the children are said to have done. Hmm. So hmm. Jojin, with his strange green eyes, would he could have been a Marsh King, is what that basically says. Maybe a little respect. Lewin, know your histories a little more. Uh, would he have been a Marsh King, or is it like, because you were saying it seems like they follow this primogenitor. Oh wait, maybe mm-hmm. that's because of Ashar's influence, not the Reed's Yes, yes, yes. The, the, I mean, that's new. That The Dornish succession is newer, thanks to the 80s. The two uh-huh. 80s, that is. <laughs> uh, what about the 90s? A hell of a time. A hell of a time. <laughs> but, you know, the Starks had killed the Marsh Kings and married their daughters, so Har- House Reed was eventually born from that. Uh, which, I mean, there's a whole other thought train we could go down of, like, were the Starks marrying off for magical connections and bloodlines? Not unlike Maybe. some of the theorizing we've seen for the Targaryens or for the South. Mm-hmm. Makes you wonder if they knew what they were doing in that respect. I'm sure they did. They liked power back then. Everyone likes power. It's fun. But I, I thought the seeing their kings as the first among equals, being touched by the old gods and definitely being magical and some of the similarities with this plot here it just shows me i'm like lewin you're so in denial you're in denial so hard you are out there absolutely it's like very obvious you know especially like with some of the stuff they talk about like for example i don't know we'll we'll get to it in a second Uh, especially with like branding like but my dreams come true and i'm like yeah that would like really spook me out too you know danny Uh, says the same thing right well yeah exactly because bran says his dreams come true and loon's like i mean we all have dreams that kind of come true and like bran's like no but like rickon dreamed it too like that's a little suspicious don't you think lewin and loon's like i mean i don't know you can call it green sight but He's like, you must remember tens of thousands of dreams that you have dreamed that never came true. And I'm like, Bran, why would you believe this? Jojen and Mira literally just addressed this recently. Okay, they just addressed that that argument. Mm-hmm. And Lewin asks if Bran remembers what he was taught about the chain that a maester wears. A maester forges his chain in the citadel of Old Town. It's a chain because you swear to serve, and it's made of different metals because you serve the realm. And the realm has different sorts of people. Every time you learn something, you get another link. Black iron is for ravenry, silver for healing, gold for psalms and numbers. I don't remember them all. Yeah, why would he? That's not his job. He's not a maester. Lewin. Lewin begins to turn each chain on his collar, showing Bran each and landing on the Valyrian steel chain, the dark gray metal link. He tells him only one maester in 100 wears the Valyrian steel link, and it means he studied the higher mysteries. Magic, for a lack of better word. All that study for this link end up trying their own hand at magic, at spells, sooner or later. He had also fallen to this, he says. He was a boy, and what boy doesn't want to be magic? But he had had no return, no more than the other thousands of boys before him, and after him that tried. Lewin says, magic doesn't work. Yeah, so we've discussed this in previous episodes, but it seems like Lewin's very adamant it doesn't work because 
I mean, he tried. He he really wanted it to be real, you know. And coming back to the chains holding down the winged wolf, I'm kind of like, oh, interesting, because they talk about chains quite a lot in this chapter as well. Like, are part of the chains that are holding down Bran, like this this sort of earthly knowledge, right? And, and the idea of Lewin's chains, these maesters chains. Yeah, and he's in chains himself because he serves, I mean, Westerosi society, which they don't, They their goal is not this magical awakening, right? So what he's serving and the bureaucracy that he's serving, he is enchained because of it. And I love the line that it's a chain because you swear to serve. Yeah, and... And there is, I think, some like something admirable about that too, in terms of Lu Lewin's just trying to give good knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think if magic were real, he'd be like, "Yeah, Bran, magic's real for sure." Mm -hmm. And he's lovely and cares deeply about the Starks and Bran. And I'm kind of like that idea of serving. Is there something there with the chains and the winged wolf, in which the winged wolf, as a king, right? Because a king should serve. Mm -hmm. Like, is there something there His about realm. how Bran, yeah, should be learning eventually how to serve the realm and, like, becomes enchained again? I don't know. Yeah, I definitely you know? think there's something in that, because even just, like, I don't know, th there's this thing with Lewin that it reminds me of teachers that we would have had in school that were really good teachers that could offer you so much about the world but couldn't because of the rules imposed on them by mm. the academies, right? Like, you would have a great teacher, but they couldn't actually give you everything in their brain because the school systems frown upon it, right? And that's what Lewin is kind of stuck into. He can't actually teach Bran what the truth is because society is like, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And it shut it down for him, too, right? Like, he used yeah. to probably believe in it. But also, it's one of those things that, like, you know, they talk about the maesters staring at the glass candle, trying to figure it out and how a man could go insane doing that. And magic yeah. is that. That's what magic is, right? Like, if, if it's not for yeah. you, you drive yourself insane thinking about it. And maybe the chains can, like, obviously the winged wolf needs to fly because Bran mm -hmm. needs to fly because he has to save the world. But are the chains, like, that keep you to Earth maybe something of a good thing in that it keeps him tied to his humanity, you know? Like, of the yes. what he's fighting for. Yeah, so it doesn't keep him too high above everyone. Yeah. Well, Bran disagrees with Lewin, right? He cites mages and warlocks in the east, and Lewin's like, they only call themselves mages and warlocks, Bran. He says there is much that we don't understand. That makes me think about Bloodraven in a way, right? Like, uh. he's called the Three-Eyed Crow, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, it does, it but it doesn't. One day, and we'll find out, but I don't know what it means yet. But also, like, it's funny because, again, we're talking about Daenerys and, and how it ties into that storyline. She's, like, probably mm -hmm. meeting them soon. Yeah, she's going to have uh, mages. She's going to have Marwyn the Mage coming to her soon. Oh, and, no, I mean the warlocks, literally. And at the this warlocks. Point, the oh, yeah, and Clash. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. We have a great passage from Lewin, and I love this so much. Oh, to be sure, there is much we do not understand. The years pass in their hundreds and their thousands, and what does any man see of life but a few summers, a few winters? We look at mountains and we call them eternal, and so they seem. But in the course of time, mountains rise and fall, rivers change their courses, stars fall from the sky, and great cities sink beneath the sea. Even gods die, we think. Everything changes. 
Perhaps magic was once a mighty force in the world, but no longer. What little remains is no more than the wisp of smoke that lingers in the air after a great fire has burned out, and even that is fading. Valyria was the last ember, and Valyria is gone. The dragons are no more. The giants are dead. The children of the forest forgotten with all their lore. No, my prince, Jojen Reed may have had a dream or two he believes came true, but he does not have the green sight. No living man has that power. Hmm. I just realized as you were reading this aloud, what Lewin is saying about things changing kind of reminds me a little of that poem, Ozymandias, by mm. Percy Bysshe Look on my works, ye mighty in despair, nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sand stretch far away. And I'm kind of wondering if, if that's maybe some of the imagery that, that George was thinking about, but uh, I have four things. One, uh, George, in regards to Jojen uh, Reed, blah blah blah, no living man has that power. I'm like, Jojen Reed, th Reed though, is not a man, but a boy, so loophole. <laughs> loophole. <laughs> Loophole. And maybe he's dead. Who knows? Um, two. Even gods die, maybe, we think, is what he says. Even gods die, we think. And regarding how gods are discussed in the series, I mean, yeah, it is kind of true about the old gods, right? Because if they are the children of the forest and the other green seers, eventually they do die, as we see. Sometimes a first death, and then they take on a second life, and then die again. Uh, which is very heartbreaking when you think about Rob. And Blood Raven is probably going to die eventually. And apparently Daenerys, right? If also we think about godhood in that idea of power and loneliness, that all are all gods so lonely. Yeah, the Blood Raven part especially is ringing true in this chapter for me. Like, because mm. it's not just that the gods aren't just dead, but dying, mm. right? It's not just that they die, it's that they're dying and that someone has to replace them. Bran is needed to serve next for life right uh just like those chains he's putting the chains on to serve for life as the next crow and the reeds are head hunting and job recruiting for them yeah oh that's very strange he's becoming um, the next god yeah he is that is very much part of his storyline and then three what does man see but a few summers a few winters right is basically like what lewin was asking and i'm like first of all I have seen way too many winters in my life. <laughs> I hate the cold. But also, because, uh, I mean, of course, in Westeros and Planetos, they have fewer of these change of seasons. But also, with the ability to see through time, maybe that means that, well, Bran actually sees, like, several summers and winters. And then through four... Time. Yeah. Everything does change, right? That is kind of what, what Lewin is saying here about the nature of magic having died out. Everything changes in life. And I guess he's talking about puberty, now that I think about it, and growing up, and how things change and the magic of childhood dies. But also, A Clash of Kings and the Storm of so Swords, they are very much that for Bran, right? They're this idea of everything changing. He loses his parents, he loses his home, he loses his other parent, he loses his brother thinks that he loses a bunch of other people. Actually, he does. He loses, like, all the other people who lived in Winterfell, too. Anyways. But, just as the world has changed and magic has left it, what Lewin is missing here is that the world can continue to change. It can change again, and magic can return. Yeah, it can change in a good way. 
for good or for more. For good. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody uses magic for good. Right? <laughs> right? Mm, they could. Uh, they could. You know, they use that, that sword without a hill. There's something in what you're saying that reminds me of the Danny chapter that came right before this. Because we're watching Lewin and Jojen from opposite directions mm. coming at Bran, being wary of how long of a leash, no pun intended, they have on him. Right? Like, Jojen needs Bran to go in one direction. Lewin needs to keep him in another direction. And we're seeing Jorah kind of try to do that with Daenerys, but she's already awakened. Like, there's no leashing her. There's She's unleashed. She is, mm-hmm. that girl is out there. She is magical. Yeah. She is out there. And there's this great magical end of that. Magical girl Danny. Yeah, magical girl Danny. And I need Bran to put on his fuku and get to it. Um, <laughs> in the end of the last chapter for Danny, literally right before this chapter, we get kind of a back and forth with her and Jorah when he brings her news of Robert dying. And she she's talking to him and he says that he sees more of Rhaegar in her than her brother but that even Rhaegar could be slain Robert proved that on the trident with no more than a warhammer even dragons can die and she says dragons die but so do dragon slayers and I love Mm -hmm. that so much of just like there are two sides there are the seers and those that killed the seers and there are dragons and those that seek to kill dragons and there's magic in those that wish to vanquish it and the balance between those two worlds. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And in the earlier part of this quote that you did not read this part aloud, but she's talking about how she's as old as the crones and the Dosh Kaleen and as young as my dragons. She's all these things at once, all four places. Yes, just like the acorn and the tree and the stump. Yep, she says to him, she says, I've borne a child, burned a cow, crossed the red waste in the Dothraki Sea. And it's not unlike that passage that, that we just read from Lewin, right? When he's like, you know, yeah. you'll be able to see, you, you know, they can see here, go here. What Jojen says about opening the eye, that with a third eye, you would be able to see past the sunset sea and beyond the north. Uh, Danny's mm-hmm. saying, I've already been all these places. She has all of these at once. Yeah. When Mira comes to Bran at dusk, he apologizes about the wolves' behavior and then tells her that Jojen shouldn't have said all that stuff about his dreams, which, I mean, Jojen probably shouldn't have, but I understand why he did. The crow lied to him, and her brother lied to him too, and she says, well, maybe Maester Lewin is wrong, and Bran counters that his father relied on Lewin. Lewin could never be wrong. Aww. Aww. She says that Ned, of course, listened, but in the end, did not... Ned decide for himself. And she tells him of what her brother dreamed happening to him and his fosterling brothers. They were sitting at supper, but instead of a servant, Lewin was the one who brought them their food. He brought Bran the king's cut of the roast. It was meat rare and bloody and delicious smelling, but to the phrase he served them old gray dead meat. But yet, the phrase liked their supper more than Bran liked his. And Bran's like, I don't understand this. And Mira mentions that Jojen said, he will. So that night, Bran's almost afraid to eat, but when he sits to sup, everyone is served the same food, a pigeon pie, and he's like, well, that was a lie. We end the chapter with, Maester Lewin has the truth of it. Nothing bad was coming to Winterfell, no matter what Jojen said. Bran was relieved, but disappointed, too. So long as there was magic, anything could happen. Ghosts could walk, trees could talk, and broken boys could grow up to be knights. 
But there isn't, he said aloud in the darkness of his bed. There's no magic, and the stories are just stories. And he would never walk, nor fly, nor be a knight. Well, see, it's fun, because magic does exist in this world, and all those things do happen. The ghosts or the dead do walk. It's his mom (laughs) and other people. The trees talk. Uh, he's going to find that out very intimately. And Bran is probably going to become a knight of some sort, like a knight of the mind or something. And I love the idea of the ghosts, because we have those people coming to life all the time, whether it's Catelyn in the undead way, yeah. John, who's dead now, maybe alive later, Arya, the ghost of Harrenhal, a very specific ghost, uh, Theon, mm-hmm, the ghost true, of Winterfell. True. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Great tie-in uh, with stuff that's coming soon. And yeah, the stories are not just stories. They're... Turns out a lot of them are real and worse than he thought, but some of them are better. Yeah, once more, I am so pleased that Bran's chapters revolve around stories, right? His, I mean, because who yes. has the best story after all? Who has the best? I mean, he could in the books. <sighs> yeah, in the books. Absolutely. I watched that episode yesterday. I want you to know I tortured myself, mostly oh, because my, my friend and I were- So you ended. So you ended yeah. it. Yeah, Absolutely. The whole series. So, did you finish your watch through? Oh no, no, already? no, no, no! I uh, stopped the last oh. episode we watched before House of the Dragon together. Whatever episode that was, that was the I last see. episode I watched. Just yesterday, we just watched the Iron Throne for fun to laugh. Oh, huh. for pain. Okay, okay, yeah. There was some some good laugh out loud moments and some interesting, like you know, like that could be done well, but it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't. <laughs> but you know, in another world where magic exists and Bran can fly and be a knight, it was a good finale. For sure. For sure. And you know, after all, why do you think Bran came all this way? Uh sit on that. Sit on oh that till the next book. <laughs> uh Oh my god, that's that line is not going to be in the books, but it's going to be in our hearts. I know that you and I like to say that a lot nowadays, and uh, our friend Jimmy. Likes I to think say it that. might be in the book. You just never know. You just never know. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to the last chapter before shit hits the fan next week with you. <laughs> oh my gosh! And you know, uh, heads up for you all. We will be doing a little bit of traveling over the holidays so if you do send us an email or a tweet of note we may not see it right away we might not get to it but we will shoot you a message back you just might not be able to hear it because the next couple episodes will be pre-recorded indeed indeed because i mean yeah traveling also end of year holidays and also uh we got his dark materials on the horizon so stay tuned for those yeah your girls are going to be a little busy the next few weeks, so uh, keep those push notifications on your feed, whether you're listening to us on your favorite platform or not, and I'm sure you'll see us pop off episodes. Truly. And if you want to keep up with when all those happen, be sure to subscribe to us on social media. You can still find us on Twitter, I guess, at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. <laughs> and as Chloe said, you can always shoot us an email that's at girlsgonecanon. C-A-N-O-N at gmail.com. And make sure that you've subscribed to us on your favorite listening streaming platform. I know a lot of you are putting out your Spotify wraps at this time of year right now and posting that we are on it. So thank you so much. 
for listening to us over at places like Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, and many more. And thank you also if you listen to us on Patreon, where there is also an RSS feed and where patrons in the $5 tier and above get a bonus episode every single month. And this past month, we, we put out our Queen's Guard episode. And this month, stay tuned for what it's going to be. The reveal. Our own unwrapped. Oh my god. GGC. Oh, unwrapped. No, no, that, that implies yeah, something different, especially with what our name is. <laughs> wrap it back up. GGC. And if you're a patron in the $10 or above tier, the Thunder tier and above, you get access to our Discord server, where our friends are chit-chatting all day long about shows, music, everything they like, and we even have events here and there, like our brunch slash happy hour that happens monthly, which we'll announce in the next couple weeks for you for this month, December 2022, as well as eventually getting back to some weekly discussions on His Dark Materials once the season is aired. Look forward to those. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Oh, oh are we oh, not howling again? Oh, oh we, could, we could do that. Howl, Ow. Howling, howling, read, howling, read. Ow. Ow. <gasps> Goodbye. Bye. Maybe it's just fun for me to howl. <laughs>